Okay, time to invite the kids to come on up front, up here, and have a seat. If you're about fifth grade and under, feel free to come on up and join us. You can bring somebody along with you if you want, a mom or dad or an older friend or grandma or grandpa. Come on up, find a spot to sit. All right, good to see you guys this morning. All right, so as you know, we've been working our way preaching through the book of Genesis, right? The book of beginnings. And we learned that God has created the first man, right? That says man. God created the first man and placed him in the garden, right? Today, we're going to be uh, looking at Genesis chapter 2, starting with verse 18. So I want to read the first part of that verse to you. Genesis 2, 18 says, Then the Lord God said... It is not good that the man should be alone. It is not good. So when God says that it is not good, do you think that means that God has done bad work in his creation? You think that means? Will God do bad work? No, that's not what it means. It just tells us that God's work wasn't completed yet. Right? There was more work for God to do in creation. So he wasn't done yet. So, if you think God has created a man who is alone, what work did God have left to do? Yeah, woman, God was going to make a helper for the man. Because that verse continues, it says, I will make a helper fit for him. So the man not only needed a helper, but he needed a helper who is a perfect fit for him. All right? So the next thing God did is he brought all the different creatures of the earth before the man, right? And so he brought the elephant before the man. Do you think the elephant was the perfect helper for the man? No, elephant wasn't the perfect helper. Then he brought uh, maybe the blue jay. Do you think that was the perfect helper for the man? No, that wasn't the perfect helper either. How about the monkey? Is the monkey the perfect helper for man? No, not the monkey. Maybe the... What's that? Octopus. Do you think the octopus is the perfect fit for the man? No, I don't think so either. Dog? Perfect fit. No, not perfect fit. So all these creatures came. Out of all the creatures of the earth, there wasn't a helper that was the right fit for the man. It would take an extremely special helper to be just the right fit for him. It would take someone very similar to him. Someone equally as special as he was created to be. So next, God did something really crazy. Like, this is really wild. Something that God did. God had the man go into a deep sleep, and he took out one of his ribs. Everybody feel, feel your ribs. You feel them there? God took one of those out, took part of his side out of his body. And then he took that and used that to create another human being, a woman. Isn't that wild? That's wild that God would do that, right? Take part of him out and create a whole new person out of that. And God brought this person to the man, and the man said, Yes, a helper who is right for me. This is a perfect fit. I'm no longer alone. I have the perfect helper. Was there? He maybe didn't say those exact words, but something similar to that. So then the man was there, and the other person he named woman. So we have man and woman. Now, if you look at those words, those names, man and woman, 
What do you notice? Yeah, the word man is also in the word woman. They're very similar, aren't they? There's a lot of similar similarities to them. So the man named her woman because she was very similar to him. She was like him in many ways. And so God gave her a very similar name. And this woman was now his. She was like him. She was a helper perfectly fit for him because God had designed her to be that way, to be a perfect fit for the man. And so now we have man and woman now together in the garden, living in perfect relationship with God and with each other. Isn't that wonderful? That just blows me away. God took part of him out and created another person. Isn't that crazy? And it was a helper perfectly fit to be his helper. So Pastor Jeremy's going to come, and he's going to continue. So you guys, thanks for coming up. You can go back and have a seat. As the uh, kids go back, I want to encourage you. You do uh, Sometimes maybe we take it for granted how precious it is to have a guy like Pastor Jeff who is willing to say so plainly what the world hates so much and believe it. Um, but Pastor Jeff just says that, those words, using the word helper, that God prayed at all the animals before him, that God made it on the side of the man. It's precious to have men like Pastor Jeff who actually believe it and stand on it. That's good. Okay, so uh, Genesis 2. Our text, of course, is glorious. It's incredible. It's wondrous. And it's a place where we... Uh, the world doesn't want to hear, really does hate, and that we are uncomfortable with at best, and at worst like to twist and disfigure such that it no longer says what it plainly says. So obviously it's about the creation of a woman, defines a woman's purpose, creation, place, and it says about woman in one word, helper, uh, what you as a woman and you as a man need to know about a woman in order to know a woman. This is hard teaching. Uh, it's not hard teaching because it's hard to understand. Uh, it's hard teaching because of the fall, which we'll get to in a couple weeks. We're messed up on it. It's hard teaching because of past experience. Some of you had fathers who were awful. Abusive, neglectful. Some of you have husbands who are not what they should be to you, and it's very hard to accept this teaching. And it's hard because you in this world are told constantly in everything, every commercial. If you watch the Super Bowl, watch any of the commercials, it was just ragging on this text. Uh, you're told that this is utter foolishness, and important people, sophisticated people, don't believe this nonsense at all. It's a nice myth. It's a good story, but it ain't true at all. In fact, in preaching this at other churches, I had somebody call me misogynistic. When he said that, I didn't know what it meant. And so I had to actually look it up. He said, do you know what that means? And I said, no. Uh, and it's funny that I think pastors who preach these things and preach them as they stand are sometimes really honestly hated. Think that you don't like women, think you're demeaning to women, 
I just want you to know, if you, at my previous church, when this came up and I was called that, I went home to Mandy and said, you wouldn't believe what I was called today. <laughs> and after explaining to her what misogynistic was, you know what her response was? What does that say about me? What does that guy think I am? Does he think I'm stupid? Does he think I'm a doormat? And you know my wife, she's neither of those two things. Uh, Mandy and my girls adore me. That's what I should have said to that guy. You want to know how misogynistic I am? Look at how my wife relates to me. Look how my daughters jump into my arms during the singing. If you think I don't like women or I'm demeaning to women, you couldn't be any more wrong because the women who are dearest to me uh, love me deeply. And if I was any kind of what some would think I am because of preaching this, you couldn't be any more wrong. And it, uh, it kind of came to me, I realized this week, that who my wife is, what she has given her life for. Same thing with my mom. My dad was a business owner. My mom kept her home. She worked really hard in our home. She built a home. She treated it as her own little business, basically. Same thing with my grandma. To not preach this text as it stands is to shame them, and I will not do that. I absolutely refuse to abandon women who love this. I will not do it. It really doesn't matter how much pressure you put on me. I will never do that because I love my wife, because I love my mom, Love my grandma. One time my grandma chained me to a railing because I was too much of a handful. <laughs> right? I, I will not dishonor them. I will not dishonor them. I'm not ashamed of this text. And I, I don't want you to be either. We should not be uncomfortable here. Okay? And I'm going to try to make you uncomfortable this morning. I didn't have to try with this text. So there is so much good coming out of these kind of sermons. Um, I've had women in our church come up to me and say she grew up in a home where this kind of thing was ridiculed. Her mom and sisters make fun of her for wanting to do this kind of thing. She had people in her own small group, other women in her small group, mocking this kind of thing, and she thanked me for preaching on it because I'm the first person that has shown her the beauty of it, the glory of it, the goodness of it. We have, another, we have other women who are struggling with nagging and dominating their husbands, coming and asking for help. There is so much good out of preaching this as it stands. It's freeing. And so I'd encourage you to enjoy it. Let's read. This is Genesis 2, 18 to 23. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will find a helper. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit or suitable for him. 
So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Let's pray. Father, your word is wondrous, and it is very wonderful here. We long for it. May you teach us to hope in your word. Our eyes long to see the redemption of this, which is so glorious, for your son's coming and to end of all of our rebellion and suffering. And so God, teach us your sure commands. May you be gracious to us now that we may never forsake any of your precepts, but keep the testimonies that proceed from your mouth. Amen. You should know, when I do these little prayers here, I'm taking Psalm 119, and I just take each of the eight verse sections at a time and turn them into a prayer. That's what I'm doing here, if you're curious. If you're not, I just wasted 10 seconds of your life. So uh, in verses 18 to 20, we, uh, a problem is raised, right? A problem is raised. This is, if you remember, in chapter 1 at the text is punctuated with it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. In verse 31, it's very good. And now you have this off key, this, this, this note that doesn't sound right, it's not good. Uh, and as Pastor Jeff said, it's not that what God did here is bad and he made a mistake, it wasn't, wasn't complete yet. And so what is not good is that man is alone. He, unlike the rest of the creation, does not have his complement. Um, and, and if you remember in Genesis, it, it narrows. Genesis 1-1, you start in the whole universe, and then it narrows in 1-2 to the earth. In the beginning of chapter 2, it narrows to the garden. And now we're narrowed to two individuals. First man was created outside of the garden. We saw last week was brought into the garden, but he's alone. So man was created first, and then the woman. So we're narrowing. But the problem is Adam is alone. The man is alone. So every animal is brought before Adam. Adam, as we learned in uh, verse 15, was put in the garden to work and commun- uh, to keep it, to protect it, to exercise the dominion he was given in chapter 1, verse 27, over it. So every animal was paraded in front of him, and he named them. If you, if you pay attention, naming is a really big deal in the Bible. It shows authority. It shows responsibility. Adam is exercising his responsibility and authority. But among all of the animal creation, no uh, uh, helper was found who was suitable for Adam. And then in 21... 25, and we're just taking 21, 23 today, but, but th- there we see the solution to the problem. And so God's word is run, written wonderfully. It, it typically, if you read the Bible, if you pay attention to this, in chapters or in sections or larger sections, it almost always starts with the issue, the problem, the crisis, and the solution is always God. Adam can't do anything to solve this problem, can he? None of the animals can solve the problem. God always has to come and do what alone God can do, which is solve the problem. 
and his solution is wonderful. It's incredible. This is one of the most intimate, precious texts in all the Bible. If you just read it for its beauty, it's really wonderful. It includes the song in verse 23. It's how awesome it is. God puts Adam to sleep, removes a rib, creates a woman from the rib, and, and God presents her, gives her to the man as the helper suitable for him. As Pastor Jeff said, it's, it's a wonderful thing going on here. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to, to... You're too familiar with the Bible, I think, to uh, see how silly this seems, maybe. And if you've been raised in the church, you heard this in Sunday school all the way up, you heard this from your parents all the way up, and it's really spectacular what God did here. It just shows how wonderful our God is. And so Adam, Adam is given a suitable helper for him, and he sings a song, rejoicing, and then he names his wife. Right? He names his wife. Again, exercising the headship, because God created him first, that he was to have here. So let's just start with the problem. Uh, the problem is Adam was alone, and God says this is not good. There is, in our world, an epidemic of isolation and loneliness. I read an article this week that surveyed 20,000 people, and 46% responded to feeling sometimes or always alone. And the survey was in relation to social media. Those who use social media regularly, that is 50 or more visits a week to Facebook or Tinder or Snapchat or all of them, Twitter, those who use that regularly were three times more likely to experience always feeling alone. So seeing other humans on a screen is no substitute for actually being with and conversing and caring for and receiving care from other humans human beings. Now here, of course, this is not a text preaching about loneliness, and yet the principle holds. We were made as social beings. We're made to interact. We're created in God's image who has existed in eternal triune, loving, fellowship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're created in that image. We need others. So singles you sometimes isolate yourself. Um, you enjoy you. And there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, but you need people. Uh, one of the things that sin does, if you're in ongoing, unrepentant sin, you'll often isolate yourself. Sin always separates in Proverbs 18.1, listen to this. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. There is a sinful kind of isolation that sin leads to in order so that you can take part in more sin. So the solution for loneliness, of course, is to involve yourself with other human beings. This is what's so good about coming to church. I think it's what's good about being a kind of a church like ours. That we try to not let people hide here. We want to, as elders, get to know you. That's the purpose of neighborhood small groups. We want to get in smaller segments of you 
so that we as elders can get to know you, know how you're doing, know how your spiritual life is, know how your marriage is, know how your work relationships are. We get to know you. So I'd encourage you to do that. So uh, it's not good that man's alone. And we also see here man's relation to animals. Adam is ruling them by naming them. We also see that before the fall, before Genesis 3, animals actually obeyed man. Notice that? All of the animals just obedient come right before Adam. You can't even get your dog to do that. Right? (laughs) Definitely not your cat. Your cat tells you what to do. Um, And yet, here we have animals in perfect harmony and submission to Adam. When the leopards were prayed to before Adam, they didn't hiss. Right? right, So, now, we also see humans are vitally more important than animals. We alone are creating God's image, more dignity, and so abortion, the slaughtering of unborn, is infinitely more important than saving whales. That's why it's so disgusting to watch so many commercials which feign so much care for abused dogs and those are the very same people who are for late-term abortions. <laughs> it's gross. Now, animals are a joy, aren't they? You see a horse run, it's spectacular. We love in our family watching nature. Well, maybe I love and I force them to enjoy watching na- nature documentaries because you see this joy. We watched... Um, one about Africa, and was it a leopard that crushed? It wasn't a crocodile. Cooper always crushed me. It was a caiman. Uh, a leopard was hunting caimans, and it pounced out in the water, and it grabs it by the top of the head, and its jaws are so strong, what it does is crush its head. It's awesome. <laughs> Animals are joy. Now, in Isaiah 11:8, we read that after Christ returns a second time, the child will play with the cobra. Creation will be redeemed back into this. There will be a time when you can rightly relate to your favorite animal. <laughs> um, but none of these animals are sufficient as a helper for, for Adam. And, and so God, as we said, caused Adam to go into deep sleep, took out a rib, closed up its place, and out of the rib the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. I want to focus on this word helper. We see it in verse 18, I will make a helper fit for him. We see it in verse 20 in the negative, among the animals, there was not a helper fit for him. Uh, This word is, of course, highly offensive in our culture. Um, We would much prefer the word companion here to soften it. Because helper has connotations of submission. Helper has connotations of deference. Helper has connotations of Adam being her head. And so we'd rather use a word like companion. Now the word companion isn't in of itself wrong. This word helper... In the Hebrew, it's, the translation would be A-Z-R, A-Z-R. It carries the meaning of equality. 
which we as Christians shouldn't doubt at all between men and women because we know in Genesis 1, 27, 28, God created man in his own image, and the image God created him, male and female, he created them. So in the word helper, there is no less dignity, no less equality. This is the lie. I've, I mentioned feminism before. I don't have time to plumb the depths of feminism. I don't think feminists know what feminism is. Uh, but one of the lies of feminism is that submission equals inequality. The word helper automatically implies less dignity or worth or value. And that, that is one of the reasons that you internally have emotional reaction against this. Because you've swum in this pond your whole entire life. You've breathed in this feministic atmosphere which has dominated our culture for many decades now. It is the ruling force in our world. Nothing has been more powerful than feminism, okay? Nothing. Started in the early 1900s, really gained force in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and it has been the dominant cultural force. And, and one of its central tenets is a woman who lives in submission means that she is automatically of less dignity and worth and equality than a man. And it's a lie. It's a bold-faced lie. So women are have complete equality and dignity. Now, to even have to say that here is already, you know, can be, be a bit of pandering. I, I don't think you can doubt that. It's ridiculous to doubt that. It really is. Now, our world has demeaned women. Right? There have been abusive men, abusive bosses, and so forth. But the way to react against that isn't to undo the truth of God's Scripture, but to submit to it. And so the truth here is that women was made for man. God made a woman and defined her Revealed her purpose, her identity in this one word, helper. So if you as a woman, if you as a young girl, single married, whatever, want to know who you are, this is who you are. And are there already objections coming to your mind? But surely I'm more than this. And what about, can, can we just be content with this word? Are you okay with it? What would it be like for you to simply embrace who God has created you to be? And some of you are. There, there are women who love it. It's hard because of the fall. I mean, if I were to ask you, how many of you are doing this? Well, none of us would raise it. And if I'd ask men how, from last week, how are you doing? None of us would raise it because this is hard. Right? We're not talking about perfection here. It's hard. It's hard. The Bible does say more than this about women, but it doesn't say less. This is the first thing. This is the most important thing. And by talking about this, I am not saying... A woman with a husband who is beating her needs to submit to him. 
we're not encouraging abuse by talking about this. We're, we hate abuse. If I had my way, every rapist would face capital punishment. Right? 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 Or if I had my way, we'd be like in the 1800s if a man was abusing his wife, a bunch of big gruff guys would take him behind the shed and beat the snot out of him. And I'm, I'm not kidding. <laughs> right? We probably need more of that, not less of it. So, we can relate this to God. I've said this before. We are created in God's image, and God is triune. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The idea of submission is grounded there. The Son of God, who is equal in every way of God the Father, has eternally submitted to the Father. We can relate this to the church. We are absolutely beloved of God. And we, as his bride, are to live in utter submission to him. In fact, if you would flip over to Ephesians 5. So New Testament here. I'm going to use one of the pew Bibles so I can tell you where it is. So we're way back in the New Testament now. In Ephesians chapter 5, which is 978 in these Bibles, Paul takes the relationship between Christ, our husband, and the bride's church, and spells out for a woman what kind of submission this word helper intends. Wives, I'm verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Okay? So let's flip it around. As a believer is supposed to submit to the Lord is how a wife is to submit to her husband. That's clear, plain English, isn't it? It's, it's very plain. Look at verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, let's ask. How is the church to submit to Christ? In everything, right? Always. There is nothing that we are not to be submitted to in Christ. When, we, when, a, when somebody becomes a Christian, the fundamental Christian confession is what? What is a Christian saying when he repents and believes of his sin? What are we saying? Jesus is Lord. And Jesus defines his lordship in Matthew 20 in the Great Commission, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded them. All right. So back to verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So we talk about discipleship. We want to make disciples here, right? What does it look like a woman to grow in discipleship in relation to her husband? What does it look like for you as a wife to become more wholehearted in your devotion to Jesus Christ? What does it look like to you for you to be growing in obedience to Jesus Christ? 
What does it look like to you to take on your identity, your created fundamental identity as helper? And, and one of the things we have to be careful of here is by nature, by God's created intent, this is who a woman is wherever she is. Okay, this is who you as a woman are wherever you are. This isn't just who you're supposed to be in relation to your husband only and then everywhere else you're not that. This isn't just who you're to be in relationship to elders in the church and everywhere. This is who you're to be at your workplace. This is who you are. Always. You can't check this. You can't check out of this. You can't kind of flip the switch off. This is who you're to be. And this is as true for singles as it is for marriage. I think this is one of the biggest difficulties. I feel like you're just preaching to marriage. Single woman, if the helper of a husband is somebody who wants to do their job in order to free their husband to be successful. That's what a helper is doing here. A biblical example of a single woman who did this well would be like Miriam with Aaron and Moses. Their sister, which makes it even stickier, uh, she was kind of the helpmeet to Moses and Aaron to help them lead Israel. You can think of Lydia with Paul in the New Testament, one of the first converts. She became a great asset, a helper to help Paul accomplish his mission of seeing the gospel go to where it hasn't gone before. You can be a professional in your vocation as a woman and take up this role as helper. How can you help those at your workplace reach their goals in your God-given, glorious role as helper? On the flip side, talking about Proverbs 31 especially, men and young boys, you cannot help but see the glorious, incredible gift of a woman, of your wife, of your mother. God and and these godly women have given us, as Mike, our elder, prayed, an incredible gift. Uh, So, young boys, you are never to dishonor your mother. Quit arguing with her. Young boys, come on, give me your attention. Stop making your mom's life so difficult with all of your arguing and rebelling. Please, for the love of God's great name, just stop it. She gave life to you. She nursed you. She makes a beautiful place for you to live, and you make her life so difficult, and all of you rebelling and arguing, just knock it off. Fathers, do not let your sons do that ever. The next place they should be after they disregard what your wife has said is in the bathroom getting a severe spanking. Husbands, 
Going back to Ephesians 5, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. At the end of Proverbs 31, it says the, the, the husband praises her. Does your wife feel like you cherish her? Does she know of your gratitude and gratefulness for her? Now, there are problems to this, of course. There is abuse, there is divorce, there is neglect, there is lack of financial provision. We are not good at this. And so, again, we are not at all condoning any kind of abuse. If your husband is ever leading you to sin against God, you are to not follow him at all because Christ is your Lord before and above your husband. I heard a story this weekend studying of a business professional who came up to a Christian speaker, a woman, I'm sorry, came up to a, a, a Christian speaker after he did a presentation and said, my husband, who's a businessman, is asking me to sleep with one of his clients so that he can get a deal. Should I do that? <laughs> and of course the guy said, no, you, Jesus is your Lord. You don't ever follow your husband into sin, Ever. Ever. But what would it look like f- for a wife or a woman to be your husband's housemate? Now, I'm going to apply this specifically to marriage, but you as a woman can take this anywhere, okay? You can apply these principles anywhere. I'm going to have to encourage you to inc- ask you to do that work because um, don't, we don't have time. Um, so I, I was talking to Mandy about this last night because, you know, I'm not a woman, and I don't know how to talk about this in ways that will be as helpful to you as if another woman is. And I mean that honestly. That's why Titus 2 tells older women to teach this to younger women. Because guys don't do it. We can't do it. Uh, but I, so what I do is just take biblical text here that fill out this word helper. What does it look like? But what, what Mandy said last night when I was asking about this is, she said, if I was the manager of, let's say, the quick trip right over here, I, as the manager, have this responsibility to plan and set goals and manage budget and uh, oversee employees. And what women need to do is take that mindset to their home. They have a small business. And they need to be intentional and thoughtful there as if they were running whatever. It's that kind of work. This is one of the really sick things. Our culture has taught women who give their lives to their homes, when people ask them what they do, they say nothing. <laughs> My wife would nurse a baby in one hand while bathing, bathing another baby, while having something cooking downstairs and feeling guilty about not having the living room clean, and she says nothing. It's ridiculous. I saw a study a couple weeks ago that said the, the most difficult, stressful vocation in the world today is homemaker. <laughs> Number one on the list. This is a glorious, incredible vocation. Women take huge initiative in the home. They are consistently asking their husbands to do things. Honey, it's time for dinner. Honey, would you clean this? They are lord of their homes. They have a dominion. They have a realm. It's a glorious calling. It's a glorious calling, and our world is just, just, I mean, just missling women again and again, saying your identity cannot be found in your home. 
You only have meaning and worth if you have a big career outside of your home. And is there anything wrong with a woman working outside the home? Listen, I just don't, I, I don't want to flatter people. Of course a woman can work outside of the home. Look at Proverbs 31. My goodness. But her main vocation, her main calling is going to be at the home. Titus 2, older women teach younger women to submit to their husbands and be working at home. In our world, you know what happens, right? A woman believes a lie that she can only have identity outside of the home, so she does that. And then she still does all of the work at home. And every study you see today says women are more unhappy today than they've ever been. Because they're working two full-time jobs. The husband doesn't pick up any more slack at home. You know that. You know what a husband gets? He gets twice the income. That's what's going on. And you think feminism helps women? (laughs) Why do guys have more toys than ever? Because he takes his wife's income. And she still does all the stuff at home. It's destroying women. So what would it look like positively for a woman to be a helpmate? Well, number one, be praying. One of the most precious stories, if you would read Charles Spurgeon's biography. Is it Charles Spurgeon? Yeah? That's his first name, Charles? Yeah? That didn't sound right. Um, One of the things that led him to the Lord was his mother's earnest prayers for him. And at one time, when he or one of his siblings was rebelling, she was praying a prayer to God saying, if my child rebels against you and leaves the faith, may he face it because we told him different. She was that kind of a praying woman. That's the first way a woman is a helpmate is her prayers. Second would be respect. Ephesians 5.33. Wife, see that she respects her husband. There is nothing more that your husband needs from you than your respect. One of the things that is really gross is when a woman is mocking her husband in front of others, and it happens way too much. Even the little cutting joke that, you know, you have three kids and your husband is your fourth is really disrespectful. He needs to hear your verbal affirmation and respect. He doesn't need you to coddle him. He needs you to tell you the truth. I need my wife to tell me the truth because she respects me. She need, he needs loyalty and, sub, and support. Another one is submission. We've already done this. I'm not going to go deep into it. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their in everything to their husbands. He does need you to follow him. One of the biblical examples in 1 Peter 3, lifted high for women to model after is Sarah. And in 1 Peter 3, it actually says that Sarah obeyed him. A synonym for submission is obedience. Right? It doesn't imply inequality. It doesn't imply less of dignity. It's that God created the family has in every other thing for one to lead and others to follow. And a husband is supposed to take the initiative in leadership and the wife is to submit to him as long as he's following the Lord, as long as he's being obedient to God. And by obedient to God here, brothers and sisters, I do not mean a man who thinks he's heard a voice from God to do something. That is not what this means. If your husband is doing that, that's often immaturity. We're talking about submission to God's word, his written black and white word, not, not just feeling like God is leading you somewhere. You've got to be really careful there. Sometimes husbands will coerce submission to something that he really wants by saying, God is telling me. And a godly wife will probably stand up to him there. Um, another one is asking him questions. This is really helpful to men. 
In 1 Corinthians 14.35, it says, If there's anything that a woman desires to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. Your husband has given you in order to help you, to wash you in Ephesians 5 with the water of the word. It'll be really helpful to your husband for you to go home and ask him certain things, and if he doesn't know it, to, help, to make him look it up or come to another to, to find out the information that will help his growth. Another one is keep your home. A helper to her husband uh, will keep a, a, a home. So train younger women to love their husbands and children, be self-controlled, pure, working at home. And so by, by keeping your home, I mean having a vision, like you were running a business for your home. It is the keeping of your home up in tidiness and cleanliness. Doesn't mean you have to do it all. That's what kids are for. Um, But it is the hard work of cleaning rooms, vacuuming, tidying up, cooking, painting, bigger visions, hospitality. And it is a full-time, ultra-significant job. Children come to the Lord around the dinner table. When there's not chaos, but it's been cleaned and cooked and set, everybody's seated there. Children get to know more about God there than probably any other time in their life. Your work is of eternal significance. Another way is a woman should be a source of biblical wisdom and courage. Proverbs 31, 25, and 26. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Let me break on my wife here. One of the things pastors get is criticism, like coaching. My son's high school coach said there's two people at every basketball game. There's coaches and critics. <laughs> if you're not coaching, you're going to criticize. Right? Pastors get criticism. And sometimes we're tempted to yield to the critics. And one of the things Mandy said to me once is, Jeremy, if we lose a job because of you teaching the Bible rightly, so be it. She laughs at the time to come. You know how much I needed that? Your wife should be a source of strength and wisdom for you. Which means, of course, that a woman needs to be in the Word of God. In the book of Proverbs, it uses the term... um, What's the first five books of the Bible? Torah. Okay. It tells a son to listen to his mother's Torah. It uses the same word that, that we honor as God's word for a mother's wisdom. That doesn't mean everything a mother says is God's. It means that a woman should be so saturated in God's word that she is a source of Torah. And so women, please read the Bible. Please read the Bible. Daily, lock your kids in a room, give them a little food and water, put on Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, and read the Bible. We need women of biblical wisdom. Need them. I got one negative here, okay? This is going to hit home, but the Bible often relays this to women as a besetting sin. It's nagging. To be a better helpmate to your husband, we really have to put an end to nagging. It is better to live in the corner of a house top, on the corner of the roof of a house top, than a house share with a quarrelsome wife. 
It is better to live in a desert land than when a quarrelsome and fretful woman. All right, let's end with uh, verse 23. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of man. Adam ends with a song. <laughs> That's how glorious a woman is. That's how glorious a woman is. When a man loves a woman, his mind can't think on anything else, right? That's, that's what Adam does. This glorious, beautiful woman is presented to him and he sings. <laughs> he sings. He sings. Brothers, apart from Christ, you have no greater gift in this world than your wife. Brother church members, you have no greater gift in this world uh, beyond Christ than the women of our church. Businessmen, you have no greater gift in your business than the women who are your helpers there. If, as I said last week, we are lords of the earth and our wives are queens, our women are queens. And so this is very precious. Adam sees her for what she is and he sings. He does name her. The Hebrew for man is ish, ish, I-S-H. The Hebrew for woman is isha, just the feminine ending to the root. He, she is like him. But in naming, of course, this is why in Christian marriage, women take their last name without hyphens. Right? Because they are saying, my husband is my head. I, I am being named by him. This is why God names us. In baptism, baptize you in the name, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We take on God's name. He is taking us. He is our head. This is beautiful. This is gospel. So you, you cannot submit to this without rebelling against God. You know what I mean? You can't take the name of God upon you and then rebel against this. But I just want you to end with the beauty of this. This is beautiful. This is intimate. Husbands, you can learn how to love your wives here. See her for the glory she is. Let's pray. Father, please help us. Pray for our dear women here in this world that is constantly harassing them to be discontented with what you have made them to be. I pray that they would find contentment and joy and worth and significance that it is. Pray that on matters of personal things going on in their lives where uh, things that we're talking about here might be different. I pray give them wisdom. I pray they get wisdom from others around them. They trust to tell them the truth. Pray for those in very hard situations of abuse or neglect that we as elders would find out about it. They give us courage and wisdom to deal with them. God, I pray your blessing on our women. I pray as us as men that we'd see our wives and our women of our church as Adam here sees Eve and rejoice and glory in them. I pray this all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.